0: Welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Old Testament book of the minor prophet, Zechariah. The book of Zechariah contains more visions and prophecies regarding Christ and the end times than all the rest of the minor prophets combined. The role of the prophet was to tell God's people what God thinks about them and what they are doing or not doing. God cares about his people and he cares about everything in their lives. The book of Zechariah reminds us of God's constant thoughts and teaches us about his plans for the future so that we have hope when we need it. So, grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the book of Zechariah as we look for Christ in the Old Testament. Turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter one, second to last book of the Old Testament. If you haven't put a bookmark there, you should. We're gonna be there for a couple of months. Take us another... 13 weeks plus a couple of interruptions. So, yeah, we should be done by the end of the year. Zechariah was a prophet to the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, for the people of Israel. A prophet was someone who spoke on behalf of God, uh, spoke for God and gave messages from God to God's people typically, but he would give just messages. And so uh, not just to God's people, sometimes those messages would go out to people who were just, you know, um, expecting God's judgment or God's judgment was gonna fall upon them, warning them of something. And, and, so, and so the prophet was there. He was given messages, and Zechariah is one of those messages. The, and, and he was particularly called to the people of Israel. Zechariah is a fascinating book because it is a very Jewish book. It's, it, it was written to the Jews, I'm going to talk a little bit later how the Jews struggle with it because there's something in it that makes it very difficult for them to interpret, and I'll get to that a little bit later. But the context of this particular book is they are uh, the 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 people of Israel had been in exile uh, to Babylon. God had said, "Hey, I, I am I am your God." and you worship me, worship me alone. Uh, If you fool around with other gods, there's gonna be a consequence. And one of the consequences was they would get kicked out of the land that God promised them that he would bless them in and protect them in and prosper them in. And if if you're not faithful to me, God says, just know that one of the consequences, I'm gonna kick you out. Well, they didn't listen, and God kicked them out for 70 years. Well, they're back in, they've been back in about, 15, 16 years back in the land and they were rebuilding the temple because the temple, the whole city had been just de- devastated. So it had been laid, it had laid desolate for 70 years. So they're back in the land, they're, they, they're rebuilding the temple but it wouldn't be finished for a few more years after these, uh, these first few chapters of Zechariah. Things weren't going well for them they were having a tough time. Uh, they'd come back from Babylon, and so they're back in the land, but everything was just, I mean, you can imagine laying desolate for 70 years. you basically starting from scratch to rebuild everything. And so the, the, that's the context, and we got to think about that. When, when things aren't going well, it often, it, you know, can mess with your mind, right? When, when, when you're struggling, when you're having a hard time, sometimes you're thinking about these things, and, and you start asking questions. And you know, what's the big question? Why? You know, why is this happening to me? You know, what's going on here? What? What? You know, you know what's happening? You know, the, you know, the, 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 the people. You know, they're rebuilding the temple, and that's really a big deal for them. You know, they're and they're wondering, has God forgotten us? Or or is God mad at us. And that's not an uncommon I hear I hear that when I minister to people they're going through something difficult in their lives or come to me and you know is God mad at me? Is that why this is happening? The Lord gives Zechariah a series of eight visions that we're going to look at over the next 6 chapters. And the, those visions are meant to encourage the Israelites as they're in this season, in this period of time, in this place. And as we study them, we're gonna see that they, they were meant to remind the people of Israel about the promises of God. Now, some of those promises are very Jewish. And so as, as such, they're meant for the Jews and only for the Jews. But all of the promises, including all the ones that are very Jewish, point to promises that are made to all of God's people. And so we need to, need to know that. Second Peter, one of my favorite verses of the 23,419 of my favorite verses. Second Peter 1, verses 3 through 4. I have no idea how many verses there actually are in the Bible. It's a lot. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, all things, notice that, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been, get, have been given to us, have been given, past tense, exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The, here's the thing. When, it doesn't matter where you're at in life, if, if things are going great, praise him. Praise him when things are going great. And, and, but we need to focus on the promises anyways. We need to remind ourselves of the promises because things may not always go great. And when things aren't going great, we need to remind ourselves of the promises. The promises really are the key to living a life that is good and right and whole and full and, and, and fulfilled. If you understand what God's promises is, even when life is good and you're prospering and you're flourishing, it helps to remind you why that might be happening and what, and what you're supposed to do with that flourishing, how you're supposed to respond to that flourishing. We can't focus on the good, without remembering the reason why the good is good to us. And, and so the promises are so important. They're really important when we come to those times when things aren't that great, when, when, when we're sick or, or some sort of a, a, a chronic illness or a, a, you know, a loss, whatever it might be. When we come to those things, the promises believed, and that's key, the promises of God believed can carry us through those things. Not just knowing the promises. We have to believe the promises. Because sometimes we know the promises, but well, maybe, you know, you know that's, for, that's, for the, that's for somebody over here. That's somebody in that situation. Some, that's for the pastor. You know? you know, that particular promise is for the pastor. There are no special promises for the pastor, in case you're wondering. I don't get any extra bonus points or any of that sort of thing. All of the promises are for all of God's people. And we need to remember that. And we need to believe them because believing is absolutely crucial. A promise can do you no good if you don't believe it. Just having a promise won't carry you through this other end. You need to believe. It's one of those things that can keep us from despair when things are hard. It can, they, they, God's promise is believed. Okay, give us hope when, when the situation around us is hopeless. God's promises, when we believe God's promises, can also f- enable us to have joy, to experience joy, even in the midst of suffering and difficulty. God's promises are absolutely key. So we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna look at a few verses this morning. Heavenly Father, you to come. I thank you, Lord God, for your promises. Lord, so many, so many that if we we took the time that we could find a promise for every circumstance, every situation, every care, every worry, every hope, every desire, every need, every want, everything that is in our lives, you've promised, you've made promises to us. You've made exceedingly great and precious promises to us. And Lord, you would, you would challenge us to seek out those promises in your word and then to understand what it is they mean and, and how they apply to us and then you would call us to believe them. And so I pray, Lord, as we get into this text this morning that you would help us to see your promises more clearly, that we might, that we might be able to uh, just make them a part of our, our very being, that we would believe them as absolute truth and that we would, we would align our life with those promises. We praise you, we love you. And Lord, I, I wanna lift up all of those who are not feeling well this morning, and I know there's a bunch. And I pray, Lord, for your special touch upon them. I pray that you'd bless them, Lord, that you would, you would, you would help them to get through to the other side of this, and that you would help them, Lord God, to, to get back as soon as possible. We praise you, we love you, and we lift this morning up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if remember last week we we began the book of Zechariah with a with a call to return to the Lord. And so if we, that's that's the context of the very next thing. That's kind of the beginning of it. Okay, you need to come back. You need to you need to look at your life and see where your life is out of alignment with God and his word and bring yourself back to that come back to what it is that God's calling you to. So because God God is going to bless you but you know, you, you can't be away from God and expect, expect to experience his blessing. He, come back and, and get to know him, get, to, get back to that place where you belong. So we'll pick it up in verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet. So about three months have passed between the first six verses and, and what we see ultimately will be over the next several chapters. So from here all the way through the end of chapter six, we're gonna have eight visions. And the, the sense of the text is that they all happened on the same night. So you know, it looks like it covers some time, but in fact, it all happens very quickly. God gives us rapid fire visions to Je- Zechariah. I almost said Jeremiah. And I'm not there yet. I you want to notice one word there, I'm going to call these out as we can, and it's the word Lord. And, and there's a couple of um, Hebrew words that are translated Lord the, to the English word Lord in the Bible, and we need to know that because they're, they're pretty important. The two words that we see translated are the word Adonai and the word that we transliterate as Yahweh. Adonai means ruler or king. Yahweh is the covenant name of God Almighty. So anytime you see Yahweh, the, it's always Y-H-W-H. It's actually, there's a lot more to it. I don't have time to get into all of the stuff there. But you can, you can tell them apart which one's being used there by the way the translators spell it or write the word out. I think we bring it up here. Notice how Lord is on the top is, is illustrated there. It's all caps Sometimes it'll be a capital L with small capitals, O-R-D, if it's it's Yahweh. If it's Adonai, it's spelled in the normal way that you would write it. Though, if it refers to the second person of the Godhead, you might see Lord capitalized in the middle of a sentence indicating that it is that. So if you need more about that, you're confused about it, go see Randy, he can help you understand it better because he's smart. So... So, so, so what we have here, we have the Lord God Almighty speaking. And he's giving a word to the, to the prophet Zechariah. So, so, you know, if God speaks to you, what should you do? Listen and respond, right? I mean, I, wouldn't that be the right way to respond if you actually hear the voice of God? That's one of the things we understand about, about what's going on here. You know, as New Testament believers, is God speaking to God's people? Say yes. Yes, he is. But you may not be able to discern his voice. It takes practice. It, it, it may not be one of those things where, where like the prophet says, thus saith the Lord, because they knew without doubt who was talking. And how they knew that was something that was kind of bound up in the way that God was working with them. But a very clear Voice, they knew it was God speaking, and so when God speaks, He has an expectation of of you doing whatever it is that He says. Right? That makes sense. Well, God, if God all, if God, Lord God Almighty speaks to you, you should probably do what He says. Right? Does that sound like a good idea? Anybody? Man, we're a little drowsy today. I can tell. Yes, please. Let's do that. So, so, so we got God speaking to him. And one of the things we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna look at and we're gonna talk about a lot as we go through this, there's a lot of symbolism in the book of Zechariah. And we're not gonna have a, a ton of time to really dig deep into the symbols. And so a lot of times I'm just gonna tell you what it symbolizes. But all of these things you can go through and you can study them and you can see where these, these images are used elsewhere. A symbol is something out of the natural world that is used to describe a spiritual thing. And so that's the best way to describe it, a symbol. And they're all through the Bible. The, the, the books of the prophets are often filled with them. The book of Revelation, you know, the, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the, the, you know, the end of the book, you know, and it's filled with symbols and, and images and illustrations. And so it's important for us to take some, take some time and look at them, but for the sake of time here, we're gonna, I'm just gonna tell you what they say. Okay, is that okay with everybody? Nod your heads like you're okay with that, thank you. I'm working hard up here. Verse eight, I saw by night and behold, a man riding on a red horse and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow and behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and white. One of the things to understand is that, that there are no unnecessary words in the Bible. There are no words that are not in there on purpose. And so every time we see something like these colors, they, they mean something. We're not gonna get into it here. Again, it, it's, a, it's a much deeper study, but they all mean something. And that's one of the things I love about studying the Bible is because there is always more deeper that you can go, more that you can understand that'll give you a clearer picture of who God is and what he's accomplishing. You will, you could you, I mean, I am going to study the Bible for the rest of my life, and I know that I will never get to the end of God. Not even close, that I'm just still scratching the surface, and I love that. You know, I, 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 I get pretty bored watching TV because within, you know, we're watching a show, and within like 10 minutes, okay, I know what's going to happen here. I know how this is going to end. You know I, know, I know who the bad guy is, even though they haven't said. I know what, I just, I just know. And it's because, it's, okay, we've seen all these things before. There, there is nothing new except here in this book. You will never get to the end of discovering who God is and what he's saying to us. Glorious. Sorry, that was a little sidetracked there. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? And I, as Zachariah is speaking, so the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. So these four horse, horsemen, four horses and horsemen, first off, are not the same one as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So, so the, the people try to, to make them fit, they just don't. And so, and so just know that. Again, there's a lot of symbolism there, but they're, that's not the same ones. There are a couple of interesting symbols here. The myrtle trees is a symbol of Israel, the, the, the nation of Israel. And the hollow, some translations will say ravine or valley, <clears throat> is, sim, is symbolic of a of a low state, that 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 the that the nation of Israel is in this very humble state. With that, at the time that Zechariah is writing, is exactly what it is. They're back in the land, but they're they're it's a pretty pretty poor kind of an environment. And 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 and, and Zechariah's looking at this like, okay, well, but what does that mean? What what is going on here? Which is a very obvious question. And he says, well, these horsemen, they're going out patrolling the earth, you know, looking at these nations. And that's gonna come, that's gonna be important later on, checking the state of those nations. Verse 11. So they answered the angel of the Lord who stood among the myrtle trees and said, we have walked to and fro throughout the earth and behold, all the earth is resting quietly. Resting quietly. Um, very likely refers to the, 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 at, the attitude of these other nations around Israel, around the world, regarding Israel, that their attitude toward Israel. Listen, we, we all know that, that God doesn't like it when we oppose, when a, when a nation opposes Israel, right? Can we, can we acknowledge that? If you oppose Israel, you're gonna have a problem with God. Well, indifference. And thoughtlessness toward Israel isn't much better. If you don't care about Israel or what happens to Israel, it's almost as bad as, as being opposed to them as in God's eyes. That's, that's the sense we get here from this resting quietly is they just don't care what's going on in Israel. We can understand it, but the point is God doesn't care about it. I want you to notice who these writers are talking to. And it says the angel of the Lord. That's important. The angel of the Lord is a manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ. This is what we refer to as a Christophany. So any time that Christ shows up in the Old Testament, right? we know the Old Testament when it did happen, before Christ was born, that any time Christ shows up there, which he does many times, is referred to as a Christophany. And it te- te- teaches us a bunch of things. One of those things is that he preexisted his birth, right? Okay, does anybody fully understand that? Yeah, we, we acknowledge the reality of it, but how does that actually happen? Okay, it's a God thing, okay? Once you're God, oh, well, you're never going to be God. Hmm, you'll never know that then. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So, before Jesus took on human flesh, he walked among his creation. He he appeared in ways. He appeared in ways that just like any of you sitting here, you you would see and relate to him just like you would anyone else here. It teaches us that Jesus, the Christ, existed with God from eternity past, he's always existed. John 17, 5, Jesus speaking, said, And now, Father, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Before the world was. What does that mean? Before any of this existed. Jesus existed with the Father. This is why this book, this is one of the reasons why this book is, 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 is fascinating to me, but it's difficult for a Jewish interpretation. Jesus is the key to understanding the book of Zechariah. Without Jesus, it's very difficult. Many Jewish scholars look at it and they say, we really don't know what to think about this book. The prophecies, all of them, point to Christ, point to his second coming, his first and second coming, and so they really struggle with trying to put these pieces together because it doesn't make sense based on their theology. Why is, that, why is that so? Because there's something wrong with our theology, right? You can't, if you don't have Jesus, it just doesn't work. And that's true for not just this book, but ultimately for all of them. Zechariah <clears throat> is looking at this and wonders what is going on and here we are verse 12, says this. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah and against, against which you were angry these 70 years? How long? You know, the, the, the Lord asked the question that Zechariah's readers were probably asking themselves. They're probably asking, thinking, God, how long is this going to go on? How long will we experience your displeasure? Because they thought, you know, God must be mad at us if it's if it's this hard, this bad. Verse 13. And the Lord answered the angel who talked with me with good and comforting words. God was not angry with them. And just the same with us. when When we're going through difficult times or just you know, those times where things just aren't quite what we want or not quite right, it's not because God's mad at us. It's not because he's turned away from us. It's not because any of those things. Our circumstances cannot tell us what God is feeling toward us. You cannot use your circumstances as, as a way of interpreting how God feels toward you. There is no connection between the two. There's no there's no direct correlation between your circumstances and God's feelings towards you. Cannot depend upon those things. But his word can and does tell us. Verse 14. So the angel spoke with me, who who spoke with me, said, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. Again, we gotta put, put ourselves in, the, in, the, in that place, in that time where the, the the people of Israel are in a difficult circumstance. It, it is, they're, they're, they're surrounded by rubble. They're surrounded by the desolation of the city of Jerusalem and, and the, whole, the whole nation for that matter. They're, they're working on building this temple, but things are still, it, it's not good. You know, the you know, the you know, the 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 prophets, you know, going in and saying, Hey, you know what, if you if you just turn back to God, things will get better. You know, it wasn't good. And so they're working on it, they're trying to get better. We remember that God chose the nation of Israel as his special people. He took Abraham out of humanity and said, I will make a great nation through you, a nation that I will bless. And everyone who blesses you and your descendants, I will bless them because of you. He made, this, he made covenants with them, covenants of love. Exodus 6-7, he says this, I will take you as my people. God's speaking to the people of Israel. You are my people. He didn't say those things to other nations. And. And I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This covenant included a a, a command of absolute faithfulness. The closest thing that we probably have in humanity is marriage. When, when, when I stood in front of, you know, my two friends and all of Kelly's hundreds of family and friends. We made a covenant before God. Even before I knew God, there was a covenant was established and that covenant included absolute faithfulness to one another. And that that required that both of us are faithful to the other person. Zeal is an expression of, of passion that is similar to jealousy. They're not exactly the same, but they're very similar. When, when we are zealous for someone or something, the idea is that there's just this, this sense of passion for it, and it's usually in a, a positive way. It doesn't, it's not always positive, but it's usually in a positive way. That we, that we desire good. That we desire that, that good come out of the relationship. You know, and, and and not only is that, but that the idea that something else could come in and mess with that is not pleasant and will and will Will result in our passion being directed in a negative way toward those interferences. For example, I am zealous for Kelly. I want her to experience the fullness of God's blessings. I want God to do great and amazing things with her. And so, and so I'm gonna try to protect that. Anything that comes in that threatens her or threatens it, I'm, I'm gonna stand up and resist that. I'm gonna be upset about that if something or someone comes against her. That's zeal. That's 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 that sense of, of of desiring not just not just the faithfulness of our relationship, but also the the you know the the faithfulness to keep the you know other stuff out of the relationship. You know that you know some people are opposed to the idea or have a problem with the idea that God is a jealous God. I love that. He loves me so much that he wants nothing to stand in the middle of our relationship. And if anything that comes in that might, might affect our relationship, my relationship with him, it bothers him. And, and if I turn away from him, I turn my love away from him to something else, that bothers him because he loves me so much. Because he knows there is nothing away from him that even remotely resembles him. that can can bless me, that can fulfill me, that can do anything for me except cause me harm and be less than him. God's zeal for Jerusalem, because that's the focus on this particular text, and for Zion means that he is upset with anyone or anything that interferes with the right relationship that he has with them. And, and, and when we watch and, and Randy talks about this a lot and we talk about it at the prophecy meeting that there are a lot of nations that are opposed to the, to the very existence of Israel. That just, just the fact that they exist not even the fact that they're in the land of Israel but the fact that, that, that Jews exist on earth. They, there's a, 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 the anti-Semitism is real it's alive and it is demonic. And it, and it and it's all over the place. It's irrational. It has to be demonic because it's so irrational. Again, those people come against God, they've got against Israel. They've got to know they're not just coming against Israel. They're standing against God and God's relationship with them. If they try to interfere with that, there's going to be a problem. God's just not going to stand by and allow evil toward his people to go unpunished. And so we need to recognize that's why we stand with Israel. We will always stand with Israel because we believe that God chose them. Whether they're walking with him or not, that, you know, God told us to stand with Israel. We're gonna stand with them. We don't always agree with everything they do, but we stand with them as a people because God loves them and chose them. Verse 15, I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease for I was a little angry and they helped but with evil intent. What's going on there is that, that God called the Jews, the Israelites, as a people, to to worship him and him alone. He said it over and over and over. He, He sent prophet after prophet after prophet telling them, God is the only true God. Worship him and him alone. Don't worship the gods of these nations around you. Don't worship the gods of your own creation. Worship me and me alone. And if you don't, there's going to be a consequence. And one of the consequences was the exile. Another one is that he would send in Foreign nations, ungodly nations, to punish them. It, we first see it happening, one of the big places you see it happening in the book of Judges. You want to just, it weirds me out every time I read it, but there it is. You know, they follow God for a little while, they turn away, God sends a nation in to you know, the Amalekites or the, or the, you know, the termites or whoever else he sends. But he sends some nation in to punish them, you know, then they turn back to God and they, oh, God. You're our only God. And then, you know, they get, you know, fat, dumb, and lazy, and they turn away again. And over and over and over it happens. He, God sent, would send prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them, just love me. Worship me and me alone. And I will bless you. I will protect you. I will prosper you. He promised to do things with Israel he didn't promise to anyone else in history. And they didn't do it. And so God did what he said he was going to do. God is always faithful to keep his promises, whether it's promises to bless or promises to curse. And so he sent these foreign nations in, but they were, they were not godly nations. And these foreign nations usually didn't even know that they were being used by God to do that. Isaiah 10.5 says this, "'Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger "'and the staff in whose hand is my indignation.'" God used the nation of Assyria to come against the northern tribes and, and, to, and to, ultimately to take them into exile. But because they were evil, not, not just Assyrians, but the Babylonians too, And they punished Israel more than God desired that God had a plan to deal with them. He was angry with them. And we're gonna see how he deals with them or kind of how he's gonna deal with them in the second vision, which we'll get to at the end. But first, and here's the kind of the key, which I might almost get done in time today. We'll see. But first, six promises God makes in the next two verses. For those of you that are note takers, two sets of three, which makes me okay, according to Pastor Ryan's way of doing things. I don't know what that means. Verse 16, therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been destroyed and lay desolate for at least 70 years. And even though they'd been back in the land for a while, it was still in pretty bad shape. But they have a promise here, and this is why, you know, that when, when, we, when we, especially when we're in a, a time of, of extended time when things aren't going the way we want. I mean, maybe you've experienced that where things kind of get, get hard, but then it, it goes on for a while. We can, we can start to really wonder. We can start to question things. And so, and so, God makes these promises to them, he, he, or he reminds them of promises. These are actually promises found elsewhere. But the very first one, he says, the, the promise of God's merciful presence. The, for the people of Israel, the idea that God was with them was very important. And for them, that was symbolized in the temple. The temple was the symbol of God's presence. And what he's saying here, I promise to be in your presence. It includes the idea of peace and protection and provision and all the blessings that you might want. Now that, that will be fulfilled literally at the first advent, at the, at the arrival of Christ in Jerusalem, the very first time he comes and will come again. As Christians, this is an everyday reality. I think we sometimes forget this. We sometimes forget that, that, that God is always with us. We are always in his presence. Not just that he's in the world. That's, that's awesome, that's great. But the reality that he is not just, not just in the world, he is in us. You cannot, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot be separated from God's presence, ever. Ephesians 3.16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might of his spirit in the inner man or woman that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through faith we can know with absolute certainty that God is present. God the Son in Jesus Christ. God the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. We don't have to understand how that how that functions, how it works, but it's just a reality that we, uh, we appropriate by faith. We believe God is always with us, always with us. And that should give us some sense of peace to know it doesn't matter where we are. Just as, just as Jesus was you know, among the myrtle trees in the hollow, they're in, a, they're in a tough place, but he's standing right there with them. No matter where you are, Jesus is right there with you. No matter what, what's going on in your life, the Holy Spirit is right there working in you and through you to do what his goodwill is. There's never a time where we're separated from God. That should give us peace, a sense of, of just knowing that God's with me. What, what, what could happen to me as long as God is with me? Second promise. Second promise. The promise of God's temple. To the Jew, the temple was was the means by which they could be in a right relationship with God. The, The temple was absolutely crucial to them so that they knew that they were in a right relationship with God. And this and this makes it really tough for the Jews today. Why? There's no temple. There's no way for them to know they are in a right relationship with God because they don't have the temple. And so they're they're rebuilding this temple so that they could know that they were in that right place. It's how they connected to God. And anything else they did was just like, okay. It's like, you know, we'll do this, but, you know, is it enough? Is it right? Are we getting there all the way there? And they could never know that because to them, that's how they did it. But when Jesus came... He replaced the temple. He replaced the temple as the way that we connect to God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, by faith, we know we're in a right relationship with God. Why? Because we believe in Jesus. We believe what God's word says. We may not understand it all. We, may not all. we may not do it all the way that we probably should. I'm guessing, you know, somebody out there probably doesn't do it right. You know, the rest of us are doing the best we can. But we know we're in a right relationship with God. You can know that. Just for the fact that Jesus, if he's living in you, the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, you are in a right relationship with God. You can't be out of a right relationship with God. You may not be doing it all right, but you are in that relationship that God calls you to. And there's great comfort and peace in that. The Jews today, most of them, if they care, because not all Jews even care what God thinks, but the Jews Jews that care, they can't know if they're in a right relationship with God. How, How uncomfortable might that make you feel if you care about that? If you care about it, I like the idea that I can just know it. I just know it. How do I know it? Because the Bible says so. I just believe. I believe it. It's therefore it is. Third promise: Jerusalem will be rebuilt the phrase there that a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem, that's what it is, a surveyor's line is to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. It was, going to be re- it was being rebuilt even as, as Zechariah is getting this, but that's a promise that'll be done. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't last. Jerusalem has been built and destroyed, built and destroyed so many times, more than just about any other city on earth. It has been built up and destroyed. The most common interpretation is this is pointing to the new Jerusalem. One of the things that, said that, that God said to, or, or that we read in the New Testament, is that Abraham was looking for a city not built with hands. This new Jerusalem. We see that described to us in the book of Revelation. Jesus tells us that he was going to prepare a place. What place? a place in the new Jerusalem. John 14, 1 and 2, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I'd go to prepare a place for you. I can tell you right now that when we're going through life and we're seeing around us desolation or difficulty or hardship or you know, 9.1% inflation or you know whatever the deal is, that I, it, it brings me comfort to know that there is a future in store that is, you know, a place that is perfect and, and magnificent and glorious. And I have my own place reserved. And nothing on earth can keep me from that place. It's already mine, it's a promise. Verse 17 has the next three verses, next three promises. You guys need to hurry up. Again, proclaim, saying, "'Thus says the Lord of hosts, "'My city shall again spread out through prosperity. "'The Lord will again comfort Zion "'and will again choose Jerusalem.'" Three more promises here. The first, fourth promise is the promise of God's provision spread out through prosperity. As we look at the nation of Israel, it's very prosperous and it's continuing to prosper. You know, as as a fulfillment of this, God has always done that. Every, I mean, God has been so generous and so gracious to the people of Israel and continues to do so today. Even though most of them, they're they're pretty much pretty. Um, Secular, they just don't really pay that much attention to it. Though there's some like, like, I forgot his name again. Ophet. God promised to make the Jews prosperous, and He's doing it even right now. Now He did not make that promise to believers. He did not promise to make us prosperous. Instead, Philippians four nineteen says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God knows what we need. He'll provide what we need. And anything beyond that, we just rejoice in. If there's more than you, if you have more than you need, just rejoice and be thankful for it. God never promised to, you know, to make you rich. He never promised to make you famous. He never promised to give you a million followers on, on Instacart. I'm just making stuff up now. <laughs> Didn't want to name one of those other places. God, God is blessing us in ways that we can't even imagine and, the, and that we will know that. We won't even probably really understand it until we get to heaven at the riches that we've been blessed with, with the abundance that we've experienced. We don't really understand it. Even even when he blesses us today, we're not really gonna understand it fully until we're in his presence. Fifth promise, the promise of God's comfort. He says, I will comfort Zion. Zion is an interesting name. Um, It's used for a number of different things throughout the Old Testament. You kind of follow, there's a kind of a progression that follows it was originally identifying a hill near Jerusalem. It, it, it would later then be also kind of encompass the, the Temple Mount area. And then later it would describe, it be used in synonymously with Jerusalem. And then eventually it would be synonymous with the entire nation. It, maybe you've heard of the Zionist movement. It identifies the, the idea of the, the Jewish people as as, you know, being Zionists Zionist. So it's a different way that it's used, but God's going to bless. He's going to comfort them. As they go have gone through some very difficult times throughout history, He's always there. He's always comforted. He's always protected them. He's always kept them. Protected them to the extent that they didn't get exterminated, which repeatedly people have tried to do, um, and he always is there to protect them, to keep them. God's love and compassion toward the Jews is is absolutely remarkable if you if you if you truly look at it it is absolutely amazing to me how how much he loves them and how much compassion he shows them and it motivates him to comfort them and and it's and it's not just the jews we we recognize that that he does that with all of his people In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. If you're being comforted, it's coming straight from God, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us. And then in all things, and this is not just true of comfort, but in all things, when God gives us something, there is an expectation of us sharing that, that God gives to us so that we can share with others. And, and that's part of this, this give and take that is this thing we call Christianity. Sixth promise. The promise of God's choice. God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his descendants to be his people, his chosen People, And he made eternal promises to them, eternal covenants with them that cannot be broken, that the Jews will always be God's people no matter what. As believers, we are grafted into the family of God. We are not the Jews. And many of the promises that God made to the Jews don't apply to us, but we're grafted into the family. And so many of these things, the, the, the many relational things them are also us. We can, can we can call ourselves chosen people as well. Just don't try to pretend that you are Jewish or that you replace the Jews. That isn't going to happen in this universe. God's zeal for the Jewish people is manifested in the promises that he made to them. His love and, and zeal for us is manifested in the promises he made to us. Some of them overlap with the Jewish promises, but not all of them. And his, And his His love is also seen in his jealousy for their affection. And the same thing is true for us. If we allow our affection to be diverted or diluted by other things, if if our love for God isn't paramount to everything else in our lives, including love of spouses and children and grandchildren and everything else, if, if your love for God isn't the main thing, then then you're 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 in a wrong place. And and God would be jealous of your affection. And he's looking at you saying, Return to me, return to me, because it's only as we put him at the top, as the main thing, can we experience the fullness of his blessings? That can we experience all of the grace and mercy that he intends for us. Only there can we experience all of that. And so if our affection And it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get our eyes off of that and allow something else to take that place. We just need to to humble ourselves before him and get back into that right place. God, you're right. You You are the main thing. You have done everything for me. Everything I have is from you. Everything that I'm loving around me is from you. And I need to love you first and foremost. God expects the Jews to love him and him alone. He expects us to love him and him alone. Only then are we even able to love anything else the way we're supposed to. You cannot love your wife the way you're supposed to, your husband the way you're supposed to if you don't love God the way you're supposed to. If you, if you don't love God you know, as, as the main thing, you can't love your kids the way that he wants you to, the way that you should, or your grandkids, or you great grandkids for you old people. I have four, four. <clears throat> yeah, he expects us to love him. You know, we have, well, but, but, but why? Try to imagine how terrible it would be if God didn't care if you loved him. Think about that for a second. If God didn't care if you loved him, why would he do anything for you? What would motivate him to do anything for you if he didn't care if you loved him or not? Imagine a spouse who didn't care whether his spouse loved him or not. Can that that be love? Can that be the kind of love that God would call us to? I don't think so. This chapter closes with a second vision, which I'm gonna get through in three minutes. Verse 18. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And so he answered me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Horns, again, another symbol. The, the horn um, is used throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible, to describe nations, uh, uh, specifically, might and power of nations. So you see that idea of horns, and we're going to see it. You see it in the uh, the, the uh, revelation as well. Um, but the idea is that the horns, and, and no animals are described, so it's just horns. So he just sees these horns symbolizing power and might. And what he's saying is that these horns scattered Israel. So God used these nations to punish Israel for their, for their disobedience. And so he's saying that that's who these things are. Uh, it's what happens with them next. Remember, God called them to Israel to love them. They didn't. So God sent in these nations to discipline, to punish. Many describe, kind of connect these four to the four um, nations that are described in Daniel's vision, uh, which would be Babylonia, Persia, Greece, and Rome, which, which for Zechariah would have been past, present, and future. And the vision continues, verse 20. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? So he said, these are, the, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head, meaning they, they, that Israel could not resist them. But the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. So the nations that God used to, to scatter, to punish Israel, God was going to punish using other nations. So he sent in, so he sent in, you know, the Assyrians um, to punish Israel, and then God sent in the Babylonians to punish the Assyrians, and then the Persians punish Babylonia, and it just goes on and on and on. So the, the the message that we need to get from that is that is two messages. I'm going to close with this in 30 seconds. First, trust in the promises of God. Trust in the promises of God. God made promises. Trust in them. No matter what's going on in your life. If your life's going good, good. But don't forget the promises of God because they apply as much in the good times as they do in the bad times. We tend to lean on them more heavily in the bad times, but trust in the promises of God. Believe them. Don't just know them. Believe them. It is true. It is true for me. I've heard people say that. Yeah, I know it's true, but I'm, not just, sure. I'm just sure it's not true for me. No, it's just true, period. It's true for you. It's the same as it was for everybody else that has seen it. And then pray those promises back to God. That's a powerful thing to do. You see that throughout Scripture, where the, where the, especially in the Psalms, where they're praying back the Word of God to God. When, when you see a promise, you pray that promise back to God. Say, God, you promised right here. In your Bible, that this, that this is true, and I, I claim that promise for my own life. Second, leave those who oppose you to God. The enemies of God, the enemies of God's people, are God's enemies. Let Him deal with them. We don't have to get all involved that. In do what God tells you to do, but then leave all the rest of it to God. Do not try to fight against God's enemies. Let him deal with them. If we're trusting God, if we're doing what God says, we will be opposed. That's just the reality of the world that we live in, especially, you know, in a liberal area like California. We should expect at some point to be opposed for what we believe. Okay, just trust God in his promises and then leave them to him. Amen? Amen? Put your trust in God alone and then wait for him to work. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for this day, this opportunity to get into your word. And again, I'll lift up all of those who are watching online, who have, uh, struggling physically. I pray for your blessing upon them. If they're struggling in some other way, Lord, I pray for a, a blessing upon them. I press, pray, Lord God, your promises over them. Lord, you've made great, exceedingly great and precious promises to all of us. Lord, help us to, help us to believe. Help us to obey and help us to trust in those promises so we ask for your special touch upon all of us we pray for your blessing over this day and all that's in it and i pray those um those that that have uh, physical struggles that you would heal them and for those of us who don't that you would keep us healthy and we pray it all in jesus name amen god bless you all have a radical week with jesus amen Thank you for joining us on this exciting journey through the book of Zechariah. It is our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If there's anything that we can do to help you with that, don't hesitate to connect with us. You can do that by going to calvaryfv.com connect. And you'll find all the ways that you can connect with us there. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer please let us know how we can be praying for you. You can send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.